Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot. Hi, I'm Drew. And I'm Derek. We're on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We believe that connecting leadership concepts to story context helps it stick to our brain better. You can find out more about this wonder tour at wondertourpodcast.com. exciting show um today we're going to go through mandalorian and we've picked a specific episode of mandalorian because there's way more than just you know just one episode in mandalorian in the whole universe there um we love star wars we're star wars nuts um drew tell us about our episode today yeah so today we're we wanted to start out in season one i mean this show was really transformational for me i just i feel like i have to talk about my personal like lean into this show because for so long like star wars had become almost a meme you know with the new movies as much as i like the the new trilogy sequel trilogy and stuff um with the fact that like the some of the books became not canon that had been canon for years and stuff. And so if you don't care about star Wars, just indulge me. It it was really like the doldrums of star Wars, right? It was like almost worse when we were making this new content than when there was no content being created for those couple of years there before Disney bought it. But now the Mandalorian, Derek, just like talk to me about the Mandalorian, uh, you know, the character, the show, because season one really changed everything. It renewed my faith in Star Wars and it helped me to realize that Star Wars is a series that's best done in this long form universe rather than trying to jam it into these movies with all of this rich content and world building. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I am in that ca- that camp of uh, being more of a movie purist. Um, I would say that these movies have been a part of my childhood growing up. Now, I'm not trying to contradict you. Just remember that, you know, I love the depth of what you know about Star Wars. And I totally like you got so many props from me for that, for sure. And I'm really excited about, you know, what I can learn from you uh, in those in those regards, because I think you're really you were you have been before we even started doing this you have been on a wonder tour of star wars for a very long time <laughs> and you're putting it all together right and you're saying like this belongs this doesn't belong you know and and it's been really cool to watch and so if i ever have a question um i look at you as like a star wars encyclopedia of sorts and i i come to you and i ask you these questions you know um but uh yeah i mean i i really enjoyed return of the jedi and that's where we really first saw uh boba fett right and i I know we saw him in empire strikes back but we really kind of saw him like do some fighting do some real i don't know it was he was kind of just running away mostly in empire strikes back right so i really enjoyed uh you know in those two movies but i really got to see you know him actually like what what's he got you know and uh so that was kind of cool there's a lot of uh mystery about you know uh Boba Fett and the Mandalorian, uh, you know, I would say the whole clan, right? And then, so what's cool about this show is that you actually get to 
learn about the backstory on, you know, why you were in the helmet. Why does it kind of look like Iron Man's helmet? Uh, why is, you know, why are all these things, you know, going on with Mandalorians? You know, what, what's, what makes them tick? You know, um, you find out, you know, it's actually pretty complex history and, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I, I don't have all, remember all the details or whatever about it, but I remember being very impressed, especially with the show. You know, I really like how they've portrayed that. Um, do you, do you kind of enjoy that drew getting, getting some answers to some of the questions you've always had? Yeah, I think that with the recent content that's been put out, and I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to put down Clone Wars because Clone Wars, the cartoon show, obviously the Dave Filoni series was awesome. And really what he did was he took, you know, a universe that was pretty fleshed out in terms of like the Jedi Order, had some fleshed out in terms of the Sith. You know, there was a lot about the Empire and the Republic and stuff, and he picked this new uh, you know, it's the nice thing about the huge universe of Star Wars, right? There's always a new area to go into, but he went into the Mandalorians more than anybody else, right? And so it's cool that he's working on, he did that in Clone Wars and he went super deep. And then now he has this series that he helps to do um, for Disney with Mandalorian that uh, looks at it less from a, like the whole Mandalorian order standpoint and more at just the clan and just the the one that Din's in, which that takes us to where we're starting out at today. So we're not going to do wait, wait, like who's Den? Who's Den? Yeah, sorry, the, <laughs> the Mandalorian, the, the protagonist in this series. Mando. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anybody's seen that episode, but that's that's something that gets stuck in my head. Mando. <laughs> well, he's, he, he's so awesome, and we'll probably go back and forth with it, calling him different things. I mean, I, I just I love his character so much and how it like. At first, it seems like he's going to be this really flat, like he's super flat Mandalorian, super, you know, he's this, this flat face of armor and stuff. And then he ends up developing so much first in the first season. Right. You start to see, you know, middle and the end of the first season, his development and then like crazy in the second season. And you're like, well, there's a lot more than meets the eye with him. And right. That's the whole point of the character is that like he comes in and he starts out and he's like a suit of armor. Right. He's, he's like Darth Vader. Where like the motivations, you can just guess at what goes on. But then as you see and you spend more and more hours with him, you start to understand who he actually is, what his history is, uh, what his relationships are with these other characters, what his ambitions are, right? Yeah. I mean, there's some deep trauma that he has dealt with in his past, uh, being a youngling, right? And uh, Foundling. Foundling. Dang it. This is <laughs> okay. It up. But uh, yeah, foundling. So – um, you know, starting off in a completely different society, but then it, it ends up being completely second nature to him, you know, because he grew up in that as a child. Um, it, we don't know exactly what age he was when he grew up in that, but, um, you know, you grow up in something and it's, you, I always just wonder about the helmet, man. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, like, how much you take it off and stuff like that. And they, they don't really go into that too much. I mean, it's funny how eating and drinking is actually handled in the show quite like, eh, you know, I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to wait till later when I'm not fighting a bunch of people or something. <laughs> so I don't know. I have questions like that, which are probably like more like practical questions that most people maybe <laughs> don't have. <laughs> They're like, I want to watch a show. I'm like, I understand that. But there's also the practical nature of wearing a helmet all the time. 
and, you know, wondering how you just do the normal stuff, you know? Um, anyway, so. Well, I think uh, the questions there are really about what it means, right? And and for me, so for you, uh, you, you come up at it with the engineering standpoint. You're just like, how did the, how does this work? How does this system operate? And <laughs> for me, I'm I'm so curious about just the Mandalorians in general, but specifically Din, because he operates differently, right? The Mandalorians, some of the other clans do take their helmets off, right? This isn't just like every Mandalorian doesn't take their helmet off, right? They, some of them do. Um, most of them do, in fact, and he's a part of this very cloaked, right? They like their their clan is underground. Um, they have this secret hideout. They are absolutely kind of like fugitives on the run because they've always been at odds with the Empire and they've even been at odds with the Jedi. So they're not really um, you know, they're not doing great in terms of making friends. Mostly Mandalorians make enemies. And so it's just like the, he has this veiled aspect to him. And it's so interesting that when he's when it starts out, the first few episodes, very little is let on about him. He's such a very you know flat character. And you can tell that there's more going on. But you can also tell that it's in his nature to try and veil everything that he does. He does not. He only wants you to see what he wants you to see. Right. You don't get he doesn't want you to see anything from behind his back or anything like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got to always be thinking exit strategy when you're a Mandalorian. You know, you think about that and how that could influence your entire way of thinking about relationships, about your day to day. You've always got to be thinking exit strategy. And uh, that's a good point, Drew. I like that. Um, I mean, the the shield and, and the armor keeps people from getting too close, right? It keeps most people from even knowing his name. And a name is such an important thing about a person that for someone not to even know your name, you know, it feels like they only have the loosest connection to you. Yeah, well, I, I would take you back to Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, where I don't know that as a kid when I saw those movies that I had really understood what a bounty hunter was before that. I didn't, you know, Dog to Bounty Hunter wasn't out yet, so I didn't have that to rely on. <laughs> um, you know, and so... I started learning what a bounty hunter did and, and how that can be, it, it can be very easy to slip into that. Right. And especially when you're running around wearing a mask all the time, I mean, why wouldn't you then just naturally want to hide everything about yourself at that point? You know, look, it's just a job. I got to go, you know, and you just go and you don't make any connection, right? You don't make any deep connections. But what we find is in the show is that we've got a guy who's maybe done this for a while but something is now happening in his world, right, that is now causing him to reevaluate whether that is important or not, uh, whether that is uh, necessary or not. And you see this being played with every episode of the show just about whether he's going to kind of break with the established norm or he's going to lean into his established norms. <clears throat> and frankly, he's just cut right down the middle of many times. You know, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Should I or shouldn't I? And there's a there's a lot of this going on, and none of it's you know explicit by any means. Um, not usually, except we see a lot of that with the helmet. But there's plenty of other things. You know, obviously it's like why are you different? You know that kind of stuff. So um, why don't we jump into the story of episode seven, right? The reckoning. Yeah, we can talk about kind of our center point here. We're just going to focus around this moment. As you've probably already heard, we're going to jump around from episode to episode and talk about different moments that happened probably, but this will be our center point um, for 
this episode of Wonder Tour. So just to give you a little recap of what happens in this episode, um, Din gets contacted by Grief or Carl Weathers. I can't even, his name's Grief, but we'll probably just call him Carl Weathers because he's just such a distinct actor that whenever he's in anything, I always just think of him as Carl Weathers, but he does such a good job. I mean, he's a true pro. <laughs> um, so in this situation, though, obviously like, they have a lot of history. Uh, Mando and, and Karga have a ton of history, right? Like there's been a, they, they've both kind of, messed with each other in the past there's not a lot of trust in that relationship but karga needs help and he doesn't know who to go to so he goes to man the mandalorian right it seems like his only hope um and so in this situation he's you know the client or the guy who's after uh baby yoda uh grogu whatever you want to call him um the client is still out there and and he's kind of sending people after after mando and so it's like this situation where it's mutually beneficial, potentially. It also is like a house of cards that can fall apart very easily, this whole mission that they're going on. And we'll see that it does. But they're kind of like, well, you know, Carl Weathers needs to get rid of the client because he's causing him trouble on his planet. And Mando needs to get rid of him because he's like sending guys after him. So between the two of them, they're like they're unlikely allies, but they're like, all right, well, we need to ally up here. All right, so then <clears throat> Cargo, of course, has an actual plan to kill Mando and take the child to the client. So he has a double agenda here. Um, but of course, this is this is Din that we're talking about. So he senses the trap um, and he brings along the uh, trooper Cara Dune with him. He also brings along Queel, who's an Ugnaught. Um, Queel's awesome. I love, I don't know that we'll get too much time to talk about Queel here, but the fact that Queel is an Ugnaught who are like these kind of like side characters who are seen as like, you know, amusements for Jabba in episode six. And then they like bring it and fully flesh out Queel. And he's like this super wise character. I just love his role here in this episode specifically and how he kind of guides Mando's journey. The salty grandfather. That's kind of what I, you know, picked up often. But I, yeah, I mean, maybe we can spend a second on him. Just, I don't know if you want to right now, but anyway, um, talk about yeah, yeah. So I, I really, I really like how confident Quill is. Um, it really speaks volumes for what correctly wielded confidence can do. And what correctly wielded confidence can do is make people feel safe. It can make people feel stable, right? It can make people feel um, like things are back in control. And I think that's what Quill does. He doesn't do it to put himself up on a pedestal. You see that. Um, you see a, a really a, a model of a servant leader, but you also see someone who is definitely ready to push back if, you know, something he disagrees with basically in the situation. Right. And I think that is awesome. And I, the, the best quote that he has throughout the, the first few episodes where he appears is that I have spoken. And I don't know if you imagine saying that in your day-to-day -day life, uh, maybe there's analogs out there. Uh, I, I can't think of one right offhand, but you know, uh, oh, I can think of one off the office. Uh, Stanley, you know, he said, did I stutter? <laughs> did <laughs> yeah. I stutter? <laughs> and, and so 
you know, I think that's that's a that's the wrong way to do it. Okay, so Quill says, you know, I have spoken, and it's very respectful. It's very steady, and it makes you feel safer, you know. And he's like, well, this guy's got to know something because he says I have spoken. And Stanley is like, get out of my way, right? And uh, I'm doing my crossword puzzle now. I just I like to make that contrast because I think that you can see in two different situations. If you don't know the Stanley quote, sorry, but you get to look it up on YouTube. Look up Stanley. Did I stutter? You know, and you'll find it. Um, but uh, two different, completely outcomes. Completely different outcomes when those words are said. All right, there's my bit on well, Quill. Trusts. I, I got to get in here on Quill a little bit too because he trusts him. And it's interesting because he actually trusts him from like episode two. Remember, he like asks him to join his crew. He says, I'm looking for somebody, you know, of your skills to join my crew. And Quill's like, no, I've got my own thing going on here. He's kind of like, I'm riding out retirement. Um, I'm not, I don't work like that. But he does work. And Quill is just like this kind of weird preeminent wisdom that exists in the Mandalorian timeline and universe. And he provides this kind of like, I don't know how to how to describe it, but he, you know, he, he puts, he's he only speaks when he needs to, right? He only inserts himself when it's time, and it, you can only get that through experience. So I think for me that it's always a challenge of, am I an expert in this field, right? Can I say I have spoken? Most of the time I can't. Almost never I really can, right? Because I'm just not masterclass in in the field that I'm speaking in, but. There are times, like you said, where you run across people or sometimes, you know, you might be thinking you yourself are a master class in a certain field and you can speak like that because you are confident that that estimate, that's that's not enough. Right. <laughs> not enough time, not enough money. I know it. I've done this so many times. Like, I'm just telling you, you won't do that project with that amount of money or, you know, you're not going to make it there on time. And you can either say, like you said, you can say, did I stutter like Stanley does? And that's like you can offend somebody and then you can, you know, cause a rift in the relationship or you can just say, like, I have spoken if you're queel. And he, he can only do it because he's gained respect and because he just isn't wrong when he talks. So what does that mean to you? Like, what do you take away from Quill's character as a leader? He's a leader that I think a lot of people would want to follow. Um, now. I would say this is that I don't know that he is a leader that would necessarily be tossing out vision left and right. I don't think that's the kind of leader that he is, right? He is more, I think, I would love to have him in operations, right? I would love to have Quill in, oper Quill, sorry, in operations um, because, I mean, you know, knowing that operations are going well and that he can take input. He can take input. He, he takes uh, – Din's, uh, Mando's, uh, you know, input on how to do the plan, right? How to kind of, you know, hey, I don't want the robot anywhere near the baby, basically, right? He doesn't want it near Grogu. He doesn't trust robots, doesn't trust droids, I should say. Um, you know, and he challenges that a little bit, but he also respects the fact that Mando does not want the robot around, right? So I think that's a nice thing to have in operations as well as some malleability, right? You, you can't have somebody super rigid in operations. But what you find a lot of times is rigidity in operations because operations attracts those that want safety. And Quill does not crave safety per se. Otherwise, he would have not gone on the trip. He wouldn't have bet some of his biggest animals. He wouldn't have bet his robot that clearly there was a montage where he 
uh, was retraining the robot. He put a lot of time into that robot. Quill is just looking for uh, a worthy cause. That's what he was looking for, right? And that's the kind of leader that he is. <clears throat> and he he knows that he will bet because of his character. He's betting on a worthy cause, and he believes in Mando. He believes in whoever Grogu is. He knows that um, that this little guy is going to do great things, and so he bets himself on it. And he pays the ultimate price. But you know, I think he he died happy because he knew that he was fighting for something worthwhile. And I think that in the end is what he wanted. And that's the kind of leader he is. Yeah, he's, it's very interesting. You don't see these pure characters in, especially not in, you know, 2020s movies, right? Or, or media. Most of the time you see these conflicted characters, the gray area is much more popular than the hero narrative of the perfect hero and stuff. And Quill actually plays more of a pure character where we never really see him mess up. Um, we only ever see him keep his word. And then in the end, even when he dies, he does it and he keeps his honor and he even succeeds even in his death. And I don't know. I don't know that there's like, you know, not all of us can be like Quill. You know, you can't be not everybody can be a sage. Um, but I think we can look for those people. And if you are that person, then you can definitely learn from Quill. If you're in that stage of your life or you're in that personality type and stuff, that he is a great person to learn from, right? He, he His words hold weight, yet he doesn't speak often. Um, he, he listens and lets others lead because he wants to develop them, despite the fact that he knows that he's probably like the smartest person in the room. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> when you're wise, you do have fewer words, I do believe. Um, I think that... Uh, the, you know, when you when you go to what his goals are, I think you can look at that and you can say his goal was not to be a broad leader, but a narrow leader. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with being a narrow and deep leader. Um, if that's what your goal is, you can be good at X, Y and Z. They always say I versus a T. I've heard that where you, you know, are you going to be an I, uh, which is someone who mostly has technical skills. But let's kind of think outside the box a little bit for a second and say that it's leading in a specific way or a specific con uh, context of leadership, right? Uh, let's say, like I said before, operational. And then you could go for more of a broad. It's just something that Quill didn't want to do, right? And so he was able to be, I think, steady, steadier because he had really bought into the the narrow band of leadership. And I think that's totally cool. It's a totally cool thing. That's an option. Uh, as a leader, you can do that. You can lead a specific type of, you know, uh, role and 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 a specific type of business or whatever. I'm trying to can now adapt it to like you know regular life. But all right, so no, that, that was great. I love, yeah. <laughs> I love that we spend like 10 minutes talking about Quill. I think that that's that's how deep Mandalorian goes, right? This is such an awesome show. Um, so let's we can keep going in the episode a little bit now. So the big turning point in the episode is when the uh, the flying drakes or these like reptilian creatures, they're kind of like a pterodactyl or something. They're called actually Navarro reptavians. Um, they're not referenced very often, even in Star Wars literature. But that is so the Navarro reptavians come and they attack this campfire at night where kind of this like ragtag team is all working together and we see some of the less you know named characters get you know die or get carried away or something like that um and we also see 
the point where now Carl Weathers character gets like slashed on his arm by these, you know, poison fangs or whatever that these things have or poison claws. And it looks really bad. It's, it's gruesome. And at this point he has to make a, you know, kind of his morality gets the best of him because he's going to spring this trap on them. But Grogu comes in and uses his Jedi healing powers to pull out the poison from him and to heal him. And you can kind of just see Carl Weathers again, such a good actor. You can like see his, how his expression changes at this point. And he actually like starts to be more expressive. He's less veiled. And it's at this point that the bridge is really built in the relationship between him and Mando. Yeah, I enjoyed this moment. Uh, it was a good turning point. And I mean, I kind of saw it coming. I mean, I'm sure you did too, obviously. Like, you know, you start seeing Grogu kind of hobble over there and you, you know, you know what's happening next. Um, but I think that maybe what you didn't see necessarily was the 100% chance of a double cross. I don't know. When I first watched it, I was hoping that that wouldn't happen. I actually had an optimistic viewpoint where, you know, they're all walking into town. They're all going together. But anyway, that's the way it works out, right? And so um, they end up in town and uh, they, I mean, it was a, like after that great moment and everything changed and he blows away his two gunslingers because, I mean, obviously he can't trust them. And I did want to diverge one second here about, well, it's going to be more than one second, but um trust is in short supply all over the place right nobody can be trusted i think this is very fascinating um you know where i think in you know normal life you, you pretty much there are a few basic things that you have to check off and then you're trusted right by default and that's not the way this uh environment was this environment was completely upside down which is you don't know how little you can trust somebody um so like uh, it all goes down from like, you know, everybody's not very trustworthy, you know? And so then it's, okay, is, is this guy way less trustworthy than this guy? <laughs> is it basically the kind of comparison that you are going through all the time? And so you're constantly just kind of sifting through, you know, because it's kind of like the wild west, right? And you think back to Westerns, you know, they can't be trusted either. Somebody walks into a saloon, you know, and all of a sudden you're getting in a fight with them, right? You're you're throwing them their head into the piano, you know, um, and you're hearing the, the keys go boom, you know, and and that's just like what happens. And then like they'll say, well, let's go play some cards now. I mean, it's just it's such a weird world, and it's getting replicated in Star Wars. That's really cool. And then this whole trust thing, you know, just keep that as that's like the backdrop of all this, right? And uh, so it's like I know I can't trust you, but hopefully I can trust you more than Gus you know, or whoever, you know, I think that's kind of the the thought process in most of these relationships. Yeah. And while we're stopping at this moment, I do want to bring up something else here that, that was really interesting to me. We're going to get back to that trust thing um, during the moral. But what what is Grogu? What's going on with Grogu here? Because Grogu, like, obviously he has the force, like the living force flowing through him. Um, and he is like he heals a guy who he knows, right? You know how like sometimes dogs or whatever kind of know that somebody's up to no good. Um, they can just like sense it like, oh, this isn't a great person. Um, and I don't know what that is, that why dogs can do it. They have senses that that are different than humans, five senses, really. Um, but it's almost like, like obviously Grogu has a, an extra sense than everybody else has with the force. And I think he, despite the fact that he can sense Carl Weathers intentions are bad, 
And it's interesting because, of course, he can't really say anything, but you you know that he does because you can always tell, like, in, in, at least with any kind of a mature Jedi, you know, they can sense when something bad's about to happen. They might not know exactly what it is, but they can sense that there's a dark cloud hanging over whatever they're doing. And Grogu takes that and he pivots it and he heals Carl Weathers. And in doing so, he, you know, like the, the fork in the path, the good path is taken. And now the good path still has pain and it has loss and stuff like that. But the path that leads to like the light side of the force is taken here, essentially. And he does it by healing somebody with bad intentions. Well, yeah, let's let's use our imagination for a second. This will be fun. Um, okay, so you know that Grogu does not understand English. Let's just assume that what they are speaking is English. So he's listening and he's listening to voice tones, right? He's also listening. Put yourself either in his pod and you're you're kind of looking to the side, right? And you're watching the conversation play out. Um, imagine yourself in Grogu's pod, or if you're Grogu standing up, you're on the ground looking up at these people. Watch what 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 can Grogu see? Grogu can see body language. Grogu can can hear voice intonation, and I think voice intonation. <clears throat> if you are making a lot of excuses, you do have a different intonation and a different pacing when you are making excuses. And I think that's where uh, Grief Karga, Carl Weathers' character at the first part was basically making a lot of, uh, I, I think he was making ex- exclamations, right? Oh man, you can't you can't bring her into town, you know? And so Grogu's listening to that, right? And he's saying, hmm, there's some discord here. And all he has to do is really measure the discord between, you know, um, Carl Weathers and and Kara and Mando, right? To know that there's something not fitting. And however, there's got to be some times probably where he measured, you know, that there was some harmony, right? Where maybe they've hearkened back to parts of their relationship. And Grogu says, you know what? I think I can flip this guy. He seems in trouble right now, right? And so I'm just going to go over and I'm going to, because he's obviously having problems. I can build a bridge here. So remember, Grogu is 50 years old. Grogu's already seen a bunch of stuff in his life already, and he knows that some people are, like you said, Drew, some people are good, some people are bad, and you know, I'm going to go ahead and hobble over because now he's on my level. So remember, he's on the ground, and now I can see him eye to eye, and now I can make a connection because he's on my level, and I think there's an important lesson there. You know, Get on somebody's level, and don't think of it as like being worse than you or or you know someone to be pitied but just like get on their level i don't care where you're at but sync up with somebody if you're trying to build a relationship you know you've got to to get you know on you know that particular plane that they're on um to make a connection and grogu knew that grogu is 50 years old you know right (laughs) he does he does such a good job with with reading that situation there and like we do have to remember like you said yeah he's 50 years old so he's seen a lot of different things despite the fact that his species kind of grows slower than most um, develop slower than most because they have such a long lifespan. He does have, you know, probably as much experience in the world as Carl Weathers does. And I think he he meets him at his level. And then what happens there? Carl Weathers is now seeing Grogu for the first time ever as for, for the being that he is, rather than just as About. some as some deliverable, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. No, you absolutely nailed it there. Yes. So within an anymore, he's a person, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so within an organization, inevitably what happens is sometimes people become, you know, squares on an org chart. 
And it happens to the leaders with the best of intentions. So you could potentially be chalking somebody up as a square on an org chart or vice versa. Somebody could feel like they're being chalked up as a square on an org chart rather than as a human being. And to make that connection means to, you know, to get on their level. I think a challenge to to all leaders is make sure you're not aloof, right? There's there's a militaristic style of chain of command and stuff like that. And that's really good in combat situations. Um, where you need clear roles and responsibilities, where everybody needs to be, you know, you know, I say this, then he says that, then she says that, um, and they kind of just like push it down the line. But most of the time, that level is not needed. What's needed is connecting with people directly, right? You take the time to connect with somebody directly and you build that trust. And now everything else in this whole episode is so much easier because they don't have that thing hanging over them anymore of the lack of trust. Yeah, and they take that moment and they... Head into town, right? They make a new plan. Uh, Mando's going to act like he's been caught. They uh, they go and they get to the checkpoint. They go to the client, the the dude who is I want to say I mean the best way I can describe him is he's eccentric, um, but he's also um, so confident that he is naive, right? And what is he confident in? He's confident. What was what's he confident in, Drew? What do you think? <laughs> well, I think. He's confident in his own logic, his own ability to reason things out. He's um, he, he's confident in his own intelligence, right? He just believes that he's smarter than everybody else and that he's already figured this out. I mean, we all run across these people inevitably in our lives. I've run across a few who are just like, don't you just see it? And it, they just try to like slap you across the face with kind of the logic that they've come up with in their brain as if this is absolute truth. And he's just like, he's like, you think you're bringing peace? It's like, no, we brought the empire brought peace not even realizing that he's justified this whole like routine of logic in his own head just to please himself and just to just to set himself up to succeed and to justify what he's doing. I mean, it's like we were talking about with Dr. Mann in the Interstellar episode last week, right? He kind of just like reforms logic to suit his needs um, and then just justifies it by convincing himself that he's got to be the smartest being he deals with. And it's like it, it falls down so fast. When like Moff Gideon, you know, the big baddie of the Mandalorian so far gets there and he just guns him right down. And he's just like, yeah, this guy's a loose end. Get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, he's expendable. Right. And he, he he even knew, I think, the fact that because he had become so naive, he didn't even realize that Grogu wasn't even in the carrier. Right. And uh, the pram. I don't know. I'd never even heard that term before personally. But anyway. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean. It just, I don't know, like he is, he's got a confounding, like just, he didn't even see it coming. And cause I, I don't know the way I played that episode out was I was thinking that it was going to go the way they said it was going to go. And I don't know, I guess you're supposed to think that right. When you, when you hear it for the first time and then it's more interesting, right. That it goes the other way and you know, Moff Gideon shows up, but I think there's another thing that's really nice about how the situation played out is that opportunistically, um, they didn't have to do anything bad. You know, They didn't have to actually gun those guys down, especially the client being that he didn't even have, you know, he wasn't even armed. Um, and you kind of feel bad for the guy because, again, he's super naive about the safety concerns, you know, uh, for himself um, and, and the, you know, jeopardizing his own mission. So I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Um, but again, it was an opportunity and it and it played well in their favor, at least in this particular episode. The next episode's a little tricky, uh, you know, where they have to kind of find their way out of there. Uh, and they do. Um, so anyway, 
Do we want to go to the mentors now? You think? Yeah, or? Well, we've already, I feel like we've done a good job of covering Quila as the mentor. I mean, we can talk a little bit more about, you know, maybe some of the positive aspects of Carl Weathers here. But I mean, I would just point out this episode kind of ends on a, it's like a two part episode with episode eight here. So it kind of ends on a, a, like you said, the, the climax of the season, which is like they're in peril, they're trapped, they're kind of, they're, they're getting, you know, gunned down as they go. And then hilariously, right, it's the IG unit. Um, the droid that Mando didn't trust in the first place that ends up being the savior here. So we will bleed into episode eight, but right. So we, unfortunately, you know, our favorite Queel gets gunned down um, trying to protect the child. And then the child um, gets picked up by these stormtroopers. And luckily this nursing IG unit, which is just hilarious because right. So the only other IG unit that we're ever introduced to in like main canon, mainline star Wars is IG 88 bounty hunter and IG 88 is awesome. I'm pretty sure the only time you see him might be an empire on the bridge um, of the star destroyer. Right. Yeah. I was was going to say, I I remember seeing that. It's the only time you see him, but if you read like, you know, Tales from the Mosaicly Cantina and some of these classic Star Wars books, IG-88 is actually this really interesting character, but again, he is a killing machine. And so it's cool that they take it and they flip it in this script where they're like, yeah, so things are not always what they look like. Um, He doesn't just because he looks like a killer droid doesn't mean that he is a killer droid, right? He's been reprogrammed by the wisdom of our friend Queel. Um, and, and Quill does such a good job. He's so intricate in how he does things that he actually does succeed in completely reprogramming the IG unit to the point where the IG unit, um, IG-11, ends up saving them, right? On their way out, the IG unit, his his protocol like that Quill put in him is so strong that he goes and he sacrifices himself to clear the way for them to get out of the tunnel when it's stuck. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a good, I mean, uh, you know, since we're taking liberties, right, let me just jump into how, you know, in business, you know, there are times where uh, you may run across um, somebody who has maybe a particular slant or a particular philosophy, you know, on how to do things. And if you can show them maybe how that is broken, um there's a possibility that they can turn into an IG for your team, right? And that, you know, they can turn into, you know, someone who can totally uh, turn it around for your particular team. I think that's that's a really cool story, a story of reversal, right? Reversal um, is, you know, it requires that either, in this case, this is a droid. The droid did not have any choice, uh, the droid got gunned down by those guys in the first couple of episodes, whatever for, was that first episode. I forget it was jam packed. Um, but you know, when Mando went to get the child the first time and, um, so he didn't really have a choice in that case. Now what happens is maybe that some people get stuck in a rut. Right. And so I look, I look for those, you know, that maybe are stuck in a rut sometimes. And I want to say, do you realize that you are maybe stuck in a rut? And if they can come to that self-realization without being offended, and I don't say it explicitly like that, but I, I try to, to lead them down that path to get them to realize, like, look, you know, maybe you're just kind of stuck a little bit. Maybe it, <clears throat> in a way it's time for a reversal, right? And uh, some of those people can be the most excited, uh, engaged uh, collaborators that I have ever met. And it's because they found new life in doing a reversal, right? Reversing direction, literally going one direction or a deflection. So you can do like a reversal where you're going 
totally one direction and you go over the other direction, or you can do what's more common probably I would say is a deflection where you change course. So you may change it by a few degrees, right? And you bump it to the left or you bump it to the right, you know, depending on kind of where your organization's going, not talking about philosophies here. I'm just literally saying, you know, turning, right? <laughs> so don't mistake me when I'm saying left or right. That's has nothing to do with politics. Um, so, you know, and then they make those changes, right? And then over time, you see that growth into the leader that they always needed to be. And they now they're unlocking. And where it where it seemed to be something that was more of a, uh, a hobbling disability <clears throat> in their personality has now become their biggest strength. That is the story of reversal. That is the story of deflection, where you turn a weakness into a strength. And I'm telling it doesn't happen like super often, but it does happen. And I've seen it and I love it. And it's, oh man, does it feel good? And you don't have to do anything. After you get them through that moment, right? Um, they take off. And it's like stocks, you know, you, you buy into a stock that looks nobody else believes in it. You believe in it. And it takes off. You know, it, it people are like that, right? They take off in their development. And sometimes they don't look back, which is great. You know, they just keep zooming up. You know, <laughs> I love that. Those are some of my best moments. I get so excited for those moments. Do, do I sound excited? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that is one of the best moments, right, is the moment of redemption, the moment of uh, where you, you completely do a 180. Like you said, sometimes it's more of a deflection. But if you see that 180, right, and we see how Quill does it. Notice how he does it, right? He's retraining this this AI but he's retraining it slowly. He's helping it to carry things. He's helping it to do these small tasks that take care of the house, you know, stuff like that, that that a nurse droid would do, but a, you know, a assassin droid would not do. And together, like through that, it starts to learn on its own, right? That's what AI does. When shown enough examples of something, it starts to do that on its own. And, and then eventually, you know, it, it completely acts on its own um, in, in such a positive way. And it's really, you know, they couldn't have done it without IG-11. Yeah, and I think that kind of brings us into our moral, uh, Drew, and I'd, I'd like you to kind of help frame this up because I think you have a real gift for being able to frame up these type of things when it really talks about character and speaking to character. So I'll let you kind of, you know, bring that in there. Yeah, so the first moral really that I see here in terms of like a team. So if we can, we can look at this differently than we looked at like Ocean's Eleven, right? Ocean's Eleven, they're building a team and they're building a, a select team, right? This is a crack team. This is like a strike team to go do something. In this situation in Mando, they're not building a strike team. You know, it kind of seems like it with what they're doing, but they're building really a ragtag team. So what has to happen here in order to pull this off right is we have to you have to pull off a hook that digs into each of the team members because on their own these team members are not really bought into what's going on necessarily they don't have to be here or they don't have to work with you or something like that and so this hook um you need a hook that's going to tie in and if you're doing this in in, in a way that is you know benevolent for others and is, you know, again, focusing on others' development instead of your development, then ideally that, you know, you don't use a hook that's the revenge narrative, right? You use a hook that kind of slingshots them, right? The hook 
kind of like tag brings them along, ties everybody together, right? You might not have tight relationships with all these characters. I mean, look at Cara Dune, right? She's no, you know, she's kind of there for her relationship, but she's really there because she doesn't like the Imperials and she's, she's ready to get rid of the Imperials. So uh, Din needs to bring along somebody who he can kind of trust on this mission because he doesn't trust Carl Weathers. Uh, and, and what he does is he gets a hook into Cara Dune and eventually Grogu gets a hook into Carl Weathers, right? And, and slowly these hooks are kind of tra- building this team. And then if it's done correctly, or if I guess not just correctly, because sometimes you could do it correctly and things can fall apart because you just don't control how everybody else acts. Um, but if, it, if it's done successfully, then you actually build a bridge, even though it might not be at the strongest of bridges, but you build a bridge between these these team members um, that, you know, might be your family members, whoever it is for you that you actually that you're, you're not connected to and you need to hook back in. You know, you need to draw them in. You know, your brother that you haven't talked to in years doesn't want to hang out with you anymore because of something that happened years ago. Right. Well, like, what are you going to draw him back in on? Are you going to draw him back in on, you know, going to see your favorite sports team or something like that? Because that's actually that might be a hook. That might be a way to to an olive branch to try to bring that person back into your life. So I, I think it's the power of the hook is the first thing that we want to look at here, Derek. And, and again, it, when used by a leader, it's not like a hook as much as it is, it is like a fishing hook where like they're the fish and you're the fisherman. It's more so a hook that helps them to push their development in the right direction or to help to push their character in the right direction. Yeah, and you you look at what somebody truly needs. As you said, you have to look at this as a in a servant's mindset, right? You want to serve them the best you can by helping them develop. Um, in Kara's case, um, you know, she was kind of she was a little bit stuck in a rut, you know, kind of hiding out. Right. And kind of doing the hideout thing. And I'm going to obviously do a little spoilers here, but whatever, because that's what this show is. But uh, Mando, you know, uses the hook of you're going to get a little more even with the Imperials. Right. There's Imperials involved. And so she's got some we, we don't know what it is. We don't know what her history is. We can kind of infer from different things, but we don't really 100 percent know. Um, you know, she was a shock trooper in the past. She does not like those guys. And she has a bit of an axe to grind. And what you do as a leader, you look for negatives and you look for ways to flip the polarity. If you can flip the polarity and take something that's negative and channel it back into something that's positive, um, you are you're doing you're doing good in the world, right? You're figuring out. Uh, ways to take those negative feelings and convert them. It's a conversion process. It doesn't happen overnight, um, but you give goals that can kind of make that person feel like they're coming to peace with what has happened in the past. Um, you know, for her, you know, these guys, they needed to go down anyway. So it's like you get a two for one, right? She gets to kind of get her, get it out of her system and are also doing something really good for Grogu, which, you know, is a completely innocent, at least as far as we know, a completely innocent and defenseless character. And I think, you know, let's go into Grogu here. Innocent, defenseless, and gosh, super cute, right? <laughs> so 
it's the cutest little guy and 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 he he plays all three of those cards all the time um uh, there's also the healing right drew what, what else what else we got that grogu uses as hooks to build his relationships because he can't speak directly so how does he you know how does he build relationships you know to get people to kind of work with him too yeah i mean i think part of his charm is his like it's just his honesty and his you know he kind of like he can't speak but or at least in a in a language that they can understand but he can he kind of puts his intentions out there when he needs to right like he eats the frog and he kind of he you know he does these things that you're like well that's kind of weird but like if you know if he's doing that in front of other people like he's kind of engendering trust with those people by doing it so he's he's building the the relationship bridge with them um through that right and we see that the big development in his in his relationships is with mando i mean mando starts out this series as a lone wolf and yeah he's kind of a part of this clan but he's a part of a clan where everybody you know doesn't see each other's faces so they're tight-knit and they protect each other and that's really important but they're not vulnerable with each other and he goes from being a lone wolf to being a servant by the end of season two, he becomes a servant, right? He realizes that there's more joy, there's more purpose for him found in serving the foundling, Grogu, than there is in seeking after his own ambitions. And I think that is beautiful because that's the that's where we really all want to get to as leaders is to, you know, to be something like a a magnanimous leader and i know that i've used that term and i keep i'm going to keep bringing it up and, and slowly maybe we'll define it hopefully well hopefully we'll define it for me and maybe for the audience and you as well derek it's it's, it's all part of our wonder tour right i mean we know we're, yeah. we're we're trying to define these things better for ourselves too but go ahead yeah so magnanimous to me right it looks like being really generous it looks like being a servant leader it's kind of the shining light of a leader that brings everybody else up around them and doesn't have no care or regard for themselves, but has, you know, has equal regard for everybody around them that they do themselves, right? They actually consider others better and, and they, they focus on others development because they know that when others develop, you know, the, the rising tide raises all ships, everything ends up working out for you if you end up developing other people. And so I think that as we look at that relationship there, um, he, he doesn't become a servant because he takes care of Grogu, he becomes a servant because of the hooks that Grogu puts into him, right? Yeah, I mean, and and those hooks are well placed, and I don't think Grogu does it as a nefarious thing whatsoever. He is just being who he is, and being who he is is somebody who needs something, which is, you know, in the past, I mean, think about Mando's life. He would just go around finding people who have just done wrong things, they didn't actually sure they had needs, but what they did to bring attention to themselves and to bring Mando to their doorstep was that they were getting into no good. Right. And again, going back to these, you know, uh, it's just how bad is the trust level with these people. Right. And that is not what you see with uh, Grogu. You see an anomaly. And so Grogu becomes an anomaly in Mando's life. And he teaches him something new because he is anomalous. And I think there's a lesson there for sure. You know, be the anomaly. Be if you're seeing, you know, the uh, the the river flow a certain way, and you're not, you know, I don't say you're not hurting anybody by, you know, having a different opinion. You know, 
Um, if you feel that way, you know, don't feel bad for having maybe a slightly different opinion than what the the overall crowd is, because maybe that's going to define you, right, versus everybody else. Maybe that's going to define what what you're after, right? And um, so I don't know. There is obviously a lot there to think about as a particular leader in a particular circumstance. I mean, but you know, don't just be contrarian to be contrarian. But if there is a reason to be contrarian, um, I think, you know, Grogu has got it nailed uh, in this show, right? He 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 shows that uh, he's just not like, he's just not scrapping and all this stuff. I mean, he's 50 years old, you know, I mean, obviously, I don't know why he moves so slow. I don't, I don't understand that. Maybe it's the fact that he is growing literally so small, small or slow. He's like still a baby, right? And he still has baby-like movements, even though his mind is, you know, far more advanced. We don't really know that. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting how anomalous he was. Is there anything else that you see, you know, about Grogu that kind of makes him, you know, unique in that way for for Mando? Hmm. Taking it pretty deep here. I want to – I do think that he's such a – his character – well, I mean, I mean, part of it is just that, like, there's these open relationship lanes, right? So we see these. This is interesting, right? Look at look at your life and try to figure out where the open relationship lanes are. These are the lanes where, like, hey, maybe you moved and you don't have this role filled in your life anymore that you used to have, um, or maybe somebody moved on you, and so they, that role really isn't as filled in your life. Um, so Grogu sees those relationship lanes, right? They have an open lane between him and and Din, specifically because they're both foundlings. And so he he sees that lane, and even like you were talking about in his kind of naivety or youth or whatever, his innocence, he still maybe he can even see better that lane. And because of that, he he dives down that lane, right? He doesn't just try to you know. He's attached to to Din because he saved him, but also because he can tell that they have something that is shared between them or that could be shared between them if the relationship was built in. So I think he, that's how he builds in those hooks there. And I think that's an example for us. You know, what's the so what's the example in real life of how these hooks work for you? I mean, Derek, talk to me about that. Maybe you have you switch jobs. So we've talked about political capital previously you build up this political capital in your workplace in your home in your personal relationships so either you move or you switch jobs or something like that and you feel like you really take a loss in that political capital so what can we learn from the power of hooks and those relationship lanes yeah and well it depends on how sober you are about assessing yourself so if you really look at what you are lacking and i think that's what i would say is take an inner look to what you lack and um, it's not to say that, you know, a relationship is a form of use. If that is how you feel, I really urge you to think a little deeper than that. I think you it's more of a need. It's not something that you use. And so think about what you have to offer to somebody, how you could <clears throat> you could, you know, let yourself be hooked, you know, by some people. I mean, I think that's important, too, is that if you want to really serve people, um, think about how. You know, you could be uh, somebody that pops up in, you know, another person's life and to just be open to that. Right. But look for people that help you with what you lack. I think that's the most important thing that I would take away here and just have that, you know, conversation about, you know, what's going on inside of you. Brilliant. I love it. Once again, somehow we start out in one place and we go all the way back around like 
<laughs> and it ends up somewhere I had no idea where it was going to go. That is the nature of the Wonder Tour, and I absolutely love it. I'm looking forward to talking about more things with you, more Star Wars, more different different movies. Next week, uh, we have The Greatest Showman coming up. This movie really blew my mind the first time that I saw it. Um, I, for some reason, didn't see it in theaters, but eventually I made my way around to it, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. So if you haven't seen The Greatest Showman yet, you probably should get out there and see it before next week. It's on Disney oh, Plus, I'm pretty sure, right now. I'm super pumped up for that show. It's just, it makes me just want to, well, I won't sing on here, but it makes me want to sing at the top of my lungs. I have sung the songs <laughs> at the top of my lungs, and I do enjoy that. Um, so, well, without further ado, we'll see you next time. <laughs>